Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so thrilled to have my guest, Liz Kemble, here with me today to talk all about creativity and her work. Liz is, in addition to being an MFA and a CPC, is a creativity catalyst, a writer, and the founder of The Collective, which we talk about in this episode, which is a network of feminist creators dedicated to fostering cultural change through creativity. Her work has been featured at TEDx, Oprah.com, the NBA, the Guggenheim, NYU, and at universities and institutions throughout the country. She writes about truth, hope, and creating a future we can't wait to wake up to at LizKimble.com and at LizKimble on IG. This episode was so fun to record, and I genuinely hope that it's helpful to you if you are a business owner or creative. She has wonderful assets that we're going to link to in the show notes. I so look forward to hearing your feedback. If you do enjoy this episode, please share it with somebody you think would like it. And also, please comment and let us know what you think wherever it is that you listen. Thank you again for being here. And I so appreciate your attention and time. It's the most valuable thing that you have. So thank you for listening. Hello, Liz Kemble. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love having you here. I'm so excited for our conversation. I'm really excited. So I would love to start by telling, you know, having you tell a little bit about your story and your early relationship to creativity and like how that changed over time. I love this because I'm, as you know, I'm a new mom. And so I'm currently reminded every day of how the relationship we all have to creativity is implicit. I mean, it is just, it's not like some of us have one and some of us don't. We all have one and we all, we are all born into an electric and thriving relationship with creativity. So I'm just like, that is so top of mind for me right now because I'm viewing it all day long. But for me, as a little girl, I just had extremely vibrant inner world. And I think this is still true that my inner world is kind of the loudest thing in the room for me. I've never said that out loud, but I think it's true. I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. I was an only child. My parents were really busy artists. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we're in a club. It's a club. Yeah, (laughs) It is. It's definitely a thing. It really affects, I think, those early development years, especially if you spend a lot of time... I was a city kid, but when we were in nature, like I literally just would go into the forest and talk to the trees and then talk to the people inside of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The imaginative world was really, I I think as as it is for so many of us, but I think I was like social, but I think I was, again, I just think I, I just remember when I think about my childhood, I think about being by myself in nature. And then I think about being by myself in my room in like with a constellation of people that were all inside of my head. 
which is still true, I think, for the most part. Uh, but then I got really serious about ballet when I was about seven years old. So I grew up in a family of artists and I always say like I went into the family business. Like my mom's a Renaissance musician, my dad's an opera singer. And it was like, unlike so many people's stories, you have to fight to be a creative in their families of origin. It was like, what else was I going to do? Like, it was really like, when are you going to find your thing? Kind of. And I found ballet really early. And I, we literally just sent me to the dance school around the corner, which sometimes can be like a really bad dance school. But I happened to step into this extremely serious, rigorous, extremely important ballet teacher in my life, which really became like a second parent to me. That was really a deep focus of my life for about 10 plus years until right before college. I thought I was going to continue on the dance path. And I really thought that was going to be my life. And then the night before I had to make my college decision, I did decide not to go sort of into the... I knew I wasn't... I didn't have the skill and the body to really go into professional ballet, but I was planning to go to college for dance and really be in the kind of concert dance, modern dance world. And the night before I had to give my yes, it was like midnight that night. And I was talking to my dad and he was actually asleep. So I wasn't even talking to him. I was like talking to somebody that wasn't even there. And I was like, (laughs) I don't want to do this. I had a scholarship to go. It was a great school. It was going to set me down this whole path. And I just like heard this voice and I was like, this is not it. And so then I made a different choice and now I'm here. Totally. Yes, but creativity hasn't left you. I don't think it leaves any of us because I think we are creativity. But I think that things, there are like obstacles in the way. There could be obstacles in the way. So I don't think that like we are blocked, but I think we have blocks sometimes that come in. Totally. And I'm so curious about that voice because you were young, you know, to be able to listen to that voice and make that move. Like what empowered you to do that? It's one of the things I'm most grateful for. Maybe what empowered me to do it, I'm just thinking in the moment, is like how I was really practiced at hearing inner voices because of all the time I spent alone. And I did write a lot as a kid. So I really did have a relationship with an inner voice. The difference is that my dominant relationship with an inner voice for most of my childhood, and especially because of the ballet world, which is true for so many of us, was like a, a voice of um, what I call the tiny terrorist. Some people call the inner critic, but that, that voice of oppression and fear was a really powerful, loud voice. But this other voice, the voice of my path or the voice of my soul. I kind of didn't hear it a lot until that moment. I do feel like that was sort of one of the first moments I really remember as like, ooh, like zing. (laughs) But I'm sure, I'm sure that I did. I certainly didn't have anyone who taught me how to listen to it, but I think it had to do with a lot of solo time. Does that have any relationship? So this podcast is all about living in your purpose. And like, what does that mean? Do you think listening to those voices has some relationship to living in your purpose? I think they're inseparable. I think about purpose. So I spent my 20s... I don't know what it was like for you. I spent my 20s and probably late teens too, just in agony, like in agony over... I think actually after that moment, it was really agony over like, well, who am I and what am I supposed to be doing in the world? And I think I just read every single book about purpose and probably paid people money I didn't have to like, quote, find my purpose. And I did all these programs. And I realized though, I was really still thinking about it like these really kind of fixed things like a professional identity or a a life path or kind of a 
a way of being in the world. And really, I think all of that is about belonging. Like it's all about like, if I am a dancer, then I belong to these people. Or if I live on the East Coast, I belong to these people. And I somehow started to figure out like that is just continually causing suffering over and over and over. And I'm, the way I think about purpose now is really that I think my purpose, our purpose is about a set of questions that we're here to ask. And I think we each have a different set of questions. They're really related. Like they're all sort of caught tied to these big human questions. But what I find so magical about each of us and the privilege of my work is that I get to listen to people talk about this all day is that everybody's constellation of questions is different. And the themes that are around those questions are different. And so what I've been learning is that I think we're going to ask these questions no matter what you're doing. So we're thinking like, oh, well, if I'm a dancer, then that's what I'm doing. Or if I'm a writer, then that's what I'm doing. But actually, I'm going to kind of be seeking those themes and questions my soul, I think, is stronger than those outward-facing professional containers. So my soul is like, just give me a place. I'm going to like try to bust out and like do this work we're here to do. So that has been one of the most calming things for my anxious nervous system around what the hell am I supposed to do in the world? Because I realized like, oh, I'm going to do it wherever I am. So what container... Is kind of most interesting to me right now is most aligned with my life and that we'll have many containers in a lifetime. That's, that's really helped me. That is so amazing. I love thinking that like, what is the most interesting container for this experience? I'm sure you experience this too. The agony and angst around purpose is so real. I think it's because we're still trapped. I mean, uh, gosh, we could talk about how it's tied to capitalism and patriarchy and all of these kind of guiding operating systems right now that we're still living in. But I think it's because we're still thinking of it in these really fixed ways that I think our soul and our inner spark is just more bigger, is more bigger, but is powerful (laughs) and more fluid than a job. Well, on that note, I'm curious, like you're an entrepreneur. So how does that relate to your creative process? Well, I made made myself a career that uh, allowed me to be all of these things and not to be in a box. Funny to hear entrepreneur because I am. And also, I never set out to be one. And I still think I'm... I really kind of feel like I'm at the intersection of entrepreneurship and the creative world, although it's all connected. But I started a business literally overnight. I was working for a coaching company at that time. This was sort of right after I I was a professional actor for 10 years and then was doing some... I never considered myself a professional theater director because I only did it for a couple of years, but I did. At that time, I was directing theater and then crying on my bathroom floor being like, what the F is next? (laughs) Like there's something for me and I don't know what it is. And it's these moments in our lives where I feel like your life is rumbling. And it's moving. You don't know what it is yet. So it's just like tears... Or for me, it's just like tears and great, like long conversations with people who are like, are we really talking about this again? Like, (laughs) 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 have you ever figured it out yet? And like epic operatic journaling. 
But so that's what I was doing. And then, you know, as, as things happen, like all of a sudden, just this coaching company that I had been a client of was like, Oh, we know I was also doing some kind of speaking to it and then like adult learning stuff, kind of teaching in the corporate space. And they were like, we see you're doing this thing. We'd love you to help us design some curriculum for like two hours, which then turned into a two-year relationship. And I got my coach training and all this stuff. Anyway, but I was still thinking like, okay, I'm working for them. This is what I'm doing. I'm building this curriculum for them. And then all of a sudden they called me and they were like, we're totally restructuring our business. And we're letting go of everyone. I still was sort of contracted for them for other things, but they were like, here's your client list. Go. <laughs> and I had just gone through the biggest breakup of my life. And I was like, it was winter. It's always winter. I mean, it couldn't be like spring. <laughs> and I was like, I have all these clients. I really care about them. I want to keep helping people. I had no infrastructure. Um, so I started a business overnight. I've been learning entrepreneurship, I do think just if I'm honest about it, it's almost always in retrograde. It's like, oh, here I am. Now I need to learn these things that I needed to know while I was here. Because I'm definitely a creative who runs a business and not a business person who's sort of being creative or using their creativity. I love that distinction. Yeah. And it's it's, what I was going to say is, it's so interesting because I have your chart here. And as you're talking, I'm like, you were made to be an entrepreneur, like you are made to work for yourself, you know, and it's funny how the universe will just be like, okay, birdie, time to fall out of the nest, you know, it's time to go. (laughs) I do now realize I was made to work for myself. I think that's the most key part of my work in entrepreneurship. I think I'm an Enneagram 4, like I, I want to kind of do the most truest expression. That's sort of my like annoying angst that my husband would probably uh, characterize as. So I was also teaching kind of intermittently in universities. And I really thought I like, I thought I wanted to be a university professor. I thought that was my 30 year plan. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I love teaching. I love universities. I love learning. And I was teaching at the new school Loved my time, grateful for my time there, loved my students, but I was, I just got really clear. I was like, Oh, there is so much here that I have to deal with that I have to spend my time on that I don't want to spend my time on. And I felt like the ceiling was just so ominous of sort of what you could and couldn't do and how much permission you needed. And so the, the journey of entrepreneurship has just been, I don't have to spend my time negotiating with the box. There's other issues when there is no box. You're like, what is the box? How am I defining the box? I can define the box as anything. But it was like really freeing to do that. And which is why the shift with the coaching company was the greatest thing that happened to me because I started making my own stuff instead of making things for other people. Yes. And one of the things that really drew me to you in the first place was, you know, you on social media, you're talking about being nonlinear, making space, like all these things that are very feminine in their approach, very like cyclical, very seasonal, very, you know, the creative source of power or whatever in the Indian thought is Shakti, it's power and it's the feminine itself, you know, so just being in touch with that. And I found it so freeing that I was just like, Yes, Liz Kimball, whatever you're doing, I'm signing up. You know, <laughs> like when you open the collective, I was like, I'm in. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about some of those ideas. Yeah. Wow. I didn't understand. One day, as I was trying to figure out everything for me comes through like sort of these periods of anxiety. And then like I diagnose the anxiety. I'm like, oh, this is what's going on. 
But I was like, why am I so not like systems organizational thinking? I was just kind of like, so I think I was in a relationship with somebody, whether it was my husband or the, the boyfriend before who was like, why can't you just be linear? <laughs> somebody was ready. And I was like, what's, what's up with me? And I was like, oh, my ducks are nonlinear. You know, I'm just, this is me. This is how I am. And so I think I said it out loud. And then I was like, oh, I have nonlinear ducks. And it just was this permission to be like, oh, I've been trying to be this line and I am not an effing line. I just, everything about me is not a line. I started saying it to other people. And then every woman I know is like, me too. <laughs> Basically. And it took me several years to realize the relationship between that and femininity. Cause I actually think that I've had, a, I have a pretty strong masculine energy in me. I have a lot of, well, I know you have, it's Vedic astrology, but I have a lot of like Mars Aries stuff going on. Yes. And so I'm actually like, so it's, it's really interesting that I work so much with the feminine, with women, with feminine energy, I certainly don't think I'm the expert, but I think I've been on a quest to embrace it in myself because it was actually almost like so, I was almost so diso- dissociated from it for, for so many years of my life that I think in some ways that's been my path is to reclaim it. What is super fascinating about your chart is that you have Venus in the first house. So that means that you have this really strong creative feminine planet there. And then you have the moon in your workhouse. So that's the other like major feminine, intuitive, emotional, tuned in kind of planet. But yes, you are an Aries rising. So that means you are a Mars ruled person and your Mars has gone to the seventh. So it's aspecting back in there. But what that means is that Venus and Mars are exchanging. So there's this really beautiful synergy between the masculine and the feminine. You know, like you, you express both, you know, like how do we take action within these kind of cyclical, different model structures. Well, your listeners can't see, but I'm beaming because (laughs) I'm eating all of it up. And there's so much resonance there already. Almost makes me cry. When I decided to start the collective, when the Access Hollywood tapes were released to the public, that was like in the fall of 20... It was before the election, fall of 2016 or fall of 2015. I don't know. I'm not so good with dates. So that's when I decided to start the collective. But the reason I really was looking to create that kind of community was because I don't think I could find something at the intersection of the masculine and feminine. I was like starting to like be in some sisterhood circles and it was like amazing and like nothing I'd ever been. But I also always felt a little bit like I was sort of trying too hard to be like in a sisterhood circle versus there was something about it that wasn't quite right. And then I was in these like business masterminds and I was like, I just, so many parts of myself felt so unseen. And I know that that's not just me. Um, I know a lot of people have felt that way. And I was like, where do we meet in the middle? I want to hang out there. That's where I want to hang out. And I couldn't find it. And then I was like, okay, well here, I'm just going to go hang out here. I'm going to make the call and invite whoever wants to come. And three people showed up in a little room in midtown Manhattan. And that's what started this whole community, which is just not me. It is us. You know, it is like so much bigger than myself, but I feel that the timing of it was also so divine because then Trump got elected and it was a place where we could find our way through that time and figure out how to like Phoenix, like rise from the ashes of that dumpster fire and make something magic out of it creatively. Yes. And you are such a lover of words. 
which I also see in your chart, like you love to like make up concepts or bring things into new light. And you're already showing us that in this conversation, like you have Mercury in your first house, this like cleverness and playing with words and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm so curious if you can talk a little bit about your love of words. Literally the best question I've ever been asked on a podcast. I'm crying. Um, I go to the etymology dictionary, etymology online. That's like my kind of productive procrastination. I could literally hang out in that digital space all day long. I love words. I, I think I actually am starting to tear up. I think that words were a way for me as a child to survive because I did do a lot of writing as a kid and I had a, you know, I, there was a lot of stuff going on in my house and it was a really chaotic household in many ways and a lot of things to navigate. And I think that whether they were spoken out loud to myself or they were written in these little notebooks that I kept, words were what got me through. And they continue to be the most potent place for my becoming and just the most magical space for me to be in. I love that. I'm also a lover of words. It's interesting just to get into your chart a little bit because we've already been talking about it, but like you have such a powerful Saturn. Like your Saturn is with your Mars and your seventh. I know you're writing a book. Like this totally ties into the words, right? Aren't you still writing a book? Yes. In 15 minutes a day. I'm writing a book in 15 minutes a day. I don't have a ton of time right now, but no, it's coming. So this is the thing about Saturn is he's making you refine and refine. But when it comes out, it's going to like blow the lid off. Like, you know, I can just see that in your chart. So he's delaying, but he's not denying. He's causing you to get really clear about what your vision is, you know, and sometimes it's frustrating. It's like, it's also your magic. Like when you work with other people and you help them through their blocks, you're actually doing a remedy for yourself and embodying your Saturn in a really healthy way so that you can like ride that energy instead of being ridden by it, you know? (laughs) So what your listeners don't know is I obviously came on this podcast to be healed by you. So (laughs) this is beautiful. Something about that. I'm curious if this comes up for you. I've been thinking a lot about refining our work and editing and sort of the, the beautiful process of taking something that you've made and making it better. This came because I hired someone in my business, a wonderful woman uh, named Renee to help with my systems. And she wrote to me or she said to me one day, she's like, So you need to stop iterating. This needs to be complete. And we actually started to develop a language that was like, we're wrapped. This thing is wrapped because I have a really hard time wrapping things because I'm like, I'm iterating, I'm iterating, I'm iterating. Uh (laughs) But I do think there's a part of me that's rebelling a little bit there against the digital culture because I have, I've got some stubbornness in me and I've got some kind of like, just like put a stake in the ground in me for excellence and for real like quality of language. And and it certainly shoots me in the foot a lot, Paula. And it's really not a good skill for the digital age. But at the same time, I think I'm like, if we don't keep lighting that candle for really excellent work, we're just going to keep sort of the internet wants us to to shovel it mediocre stuff. Oh my gosh. I bet (laughs) you agree with me about adverbs. Like I really miss the LY. I just, I don't know what happened to it. And I've sort of been like, Hey, every time someone uses an adverb properly, I'm like that old grammarian librarian. That's like, (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you on that. And, and obviously, and, and, and then the other work is like, okay, but how do you move, right? Don't stay fixed. And how do I like, we're, we're actually, we've developed a whole new kind of language on the internet and collectively around language. I think we're all looking at language and being like, some of this is no longer useful at all. It really needs a glow up. The dictionary <laughs> is like needs a glow up. But um, but then there's the other tension of like, I'm okay. This is certainly not what we would sort of identify as like good ROI or productive, but it's more of like my soul is okay spending a long time on a piece of writing, even if it just goes on the internet because I'm I care. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes things don't take as long because you've been digesting. We've talked about this too. Like sometimes things aren't ready for the state, you know, like when we're in a process, we allow ourselves to have this process before we start posting about it on social media, which is very nonlinear. It's very cyclical. It's very feminine. But then sometimes it just comes for me anyway, very quickly because I've been already digesting it. And then I can make the content in five minutes and put it out. And it's like, boom. Because you're respecting the inner process, which means we don't have to share everything, which I think can be confusing, rhythm of the digital world that we're living in. In a lot of business strategy where they're telling you to share your story and to be vulnerable and all those things. And like, how do you do that in a very skillful way while still protecting yourself and your boundaries and everything? Yeah. I agree with Brene Brown that I don't share until I've done processing on my own. And that works really well for me. What's confusing, I think, is the world sometimes thinks you're like processing it with them. And people will sometimes reach out and they'll be like, are you okay? Like, I'm, I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, I take care of myself. I'm good. But thank you for your concern. And I think that's a really interesting... I actually work with this a lot with my clients at this point, because what we might even label as like challenging parts of ourselves or like um, neuroses or these things that that have kind of can hold us back socially and emotionally, they are in many ways, sometimes the the DNA of our work. So somebody will sort of like have relationship problems, but then they'll make a comedy show about it. And that comedy show helps so many people and is amazing. But you don't want to stay in that those problems. Like you want to make the work. And the the way I see it when it works really well is like, okay, you make the work, you're doing your own healing. So the work isn't the only thing healing you, but absolutely the act of of bringing some kind of creative work into the world is going to heal you. And so what you have to get comfortable is then I'm going to share something that I've actually kind of moved beyond from my own inner work perspective. And I think that's something I have to get really comfortable with as creators in this time, as people living our lives publicly, because I think by the time the work is released, you're onto something else. Totally. And this sort of fits into something I saw on your website, which is that creativity is like a piece of mental health that we don't talk about. Or I can't remember how you framed it, but like maybe you can talk, maybe you can like dot that I and cross that T for us. It's a little embarrassing because I've been listening to your beautiful podcast and I just want to shout out your beautiful work on this podcast and all of your amazing guests so far and the gift that you're giving to the world. It's, I said this to you before the call, but I really, I don't love a lot of podcasts and I think this is an amazing podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you were able to be on it because I think you're just adding so much to the conversation. So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm honored to be here. So the question about creativity as mental health, 
came up for me because I've tried for like 15 years to meditate. I'm embarrassed to say this in the company of your guests because they all seem (laughs) extremely spiritually evolved. I am like a moth to every self-development flame wherever it is. I've kind of worked in various forms of meditation, but I've started to expand my definition of what meditation is for me personally. And for me personally, at this point in my life, while I do some guided meditations, the way I take care of my mental health is both by exercise and by a kind of creative practice that is not about like pushing for a result or getting a deadline. So I call this non-results oriented creativity. And it is literally just you and creativity hanging out for a little bit of time. And I have found that for me, this is what keeps me able to be kind to everyone in my life. And my whole day feels different when I just... And I do 15 minutes because... It's easy to say yes to 15 minutes. And I've been doing that for years. And now that I'm a mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, I only have 15 minutes. It's like mental flossing for me to just be there without pressuring myself. And that in itself is radical for most of us because we've... And not that results are bad and not that deadlines... Deadlines empower art. Deadlines are going to get your thing done. But there's a difference between... It's just working that creative muscle, that relationship with creativity... It's a way of saying to your creative voice, like, I trust you. I'm going to come here every single day. I talk about it like it's like a parent picking up a kid at ballet or at at soccer. Like the kid needs to depend on that parent and know that that parent's going to show up at the end of soccer practice. And when your parents don't show up and there's a couple times they don't show up, the kid starts losing faith and starts losing trust. And it's like, is my parent going to come? I actually don't know. I think of it, that's the way I think of, of showing up for a creative practice is like, you just have to show up so that creativity knows I'm here. I'm with you. I'm not abandoning you. If you are looking for better ways to understand astrology and yourself, you are in luck because I have a course out now called The Planets, and it goes in depth into the stories of the planets, their characteristics, how we can have a relationship with them, how they may afflict us and what to do about it. You also learn a lot about karma, about Vedic astrology, what it is, where it originates from, how to read your chart. So it's a pretty in-depth look and a helpful tool for you to better understand astrology. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to weaveyourbliss.teachable.com. You'll see the planets there and you can click through and learn more. I love also your word for God, spirit, consciousness. You say the big music. So could you talk a little bit about that, like that concept? And- I do think I got that from a play some somewhere. So I, I need to make sure I credit it. I think it's a Craig Wright play. And I think it's from... I don't know which play it is. It might be called Grace. But I'm not sure if that's correct. So <laughs> my brain is really slippery these days. But... When I read that, it was actually a monologue I was doing, I think, as an actor. I was all, this is where you know, just circling back to the purpose thing, every single monologue I chose as an actor was about something about like God, spirit, purpose, big music. Like, I didn't want 
anything else. I just was gravitating or like, or about our inner child. Like that was sort of the only work <laughs> I was interested in doing. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like my soul is like, look, we're here to do a couple of things and we're going to do them wherever we are. So I just, I mean, I think the language around however you want to talk about the consciousness, God, whatever it is, all I think that matters is that you find some words that work for you. I think we get way too precious about what those words are and way too contentious about it. So when I heard big music, I was like, that's it. That is, it gives me goosebumps to say. When I was a little girl, my dad was a singer and he sang in a church choir. Like that was a, a sort of side job he had. The church paid him to be like this amazing tenor. And it was cheaper than babysitting for me to go with him. And it was this huge, beautiful Episcopal church in Philadelphia. And so I would go into the service. I was like three. I would go into the service and kind of hide in between. The choir would process into the church. And I would just like hide in between their little skirts. And then I would sit on the floor of the stall with my crayons or whatever they had given me to do. But I spent the whole time looking up at the ceiling, these beautiful angels on the ceiling. And I can see them now. I can see these little angels. And when I think about big music, I think about that. And it's not in any way Christian or, or religious focused, but it was like, I felt something. I mean, there's like, there's the presence of something beyond this individual form. And so that language really works for me. I love that. And so it's so interesting too, because you have this really strong Jupiter aspecting onto your first house. And now it's activated, like you're in your Jupiter period that just happens. So <laughs> Jupiter also is that expansiveness, the wisdom, just brightness, all of those things. And so it's just so amazing to me to like, see that even resonating in your branding, like you chose yellow as like one of your main colors. And that's the color of Jupiter, you know, so you're like super aligned with all of that. So it's beautiful. And I just love the image of the angels. So, you know, it's like the big music is playing and we don't need some kind of structure for it. It could be this really holistic, beautiful thing that holds us, you know, without a container. As long as the container is, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but as long as the container is seeing all humanity and right. treating everyone justly, a container works too. Whatever yeah. works for you. I grew up, uh, my family is Quaker. My mom's side of the family is Quaker. So the Quaker faith believes that you don't need another person to access the big music. Like you personally can just access it, which is why they sit in silence. And that I think really affected me that like we don't, we don't need that, but sometimes you need somebody and that's great too. I think anything that will help you connect to that. It's just everything drops, like all of the little voices drop and you just have that connection to awe and wonder that I think I've been thinking about this a lot because of this baby. And like when I walk around the neighborhood and a baby, you encounter people with the baby, people just immediately melt and smile and their, their whole nervous systems just ease. And I'm thinking like, we want to do this all the time. I mean, I love my baby, but why are we waiting for... It's like the baby is sort of like the conduit for people to taste the joy that they really mm. want to taste, you know? And I'm like, but we, I passed these people when I was pregnant. Like, well, they're into the... Pre everyone's into pregnancy. But like, <laughs> I passed people on the street all the time before I had a kid. And we don't have that connection because we're, we're scared of like... It's too vulnerable, I think. But somehow the baby just lets everyone be who they really are. 
And I think we're craving that. Like it's immediately like you drop into the big music with the baby. And I've been thinking a lot about how their babies are great, but like, how could we do that even without a baby? I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. It's so true. When you see a baby, you just melt. It's just so true. So I have some rapid fire questions. Are you down for a little? I will do my best to be rapid. It's not (laughs) one of my zones of genius, but I work on it. You can take as much time as you want, but these are just some fun questions I ask everybody. Um, So what is one piece of advice that's really helped you in your life? Okay. So I got basically no advice from my parents growing up. But my dad gave me one piece of advice that has stayed with me that I use in my work all the time. He was in the opera world. And he would always say, I treat every job I have like it's the Met. The Met is the Metropolitan Opera and sort of the biggest opera house in the world. That has really helped me, especially in periods of transition, where you might be doing something professionally where you're like, I think I'm phasing out of this, but I don't know what's next. Am I supposed to keep doing it? Like what? A, and it's just really uh, all I, I am like, I'm showing up like it's the mat, no matter what, no matter where I am, no matter who I'm with. And that has been really, a, really powerful advice for me. When you feel anxious, confused or frustrated, what is the first thing you do to ground yourself? I was going to say the first thing I do when I feel anxious or frustrated is probably if my husband's around, I'll probably tell him about it. And then he'll get frustrated with me that I'm anxious again. Uh, no, he's very patient and loving. So what I've learned, here's what helps me. I've learned that the most important thing to do in those moments is move my body because I'm stuck in brain cycle that no, no amount of thinking will get me out of. So it really is for me, any kind of movement, if I have that available to me, if I can be outside in nature, that's big. And then writing out what's going on. Love that. And I think you were the one that introduced me to that book, Burnout. Oh, right. Yeah, that was a really helpful read this past winter. (laughs) I do really recommend that book. It's just so thorough. And it's saying things that I think all of us have known for so long, but they're bringing science to it. And they're like, there's no more negotiating around this. So I do recommend that book to help reinforce what we know. So what is your favorite hot beverage? Coffee. I love it. (laughs) With butter. With butter. I do the bulletproof coffee. Awesome. Um, Last meal on earth. I would have a kale Caesar salad with the dressing from this place called Arturo's here that I think is like anchovy forward with a ton of Parmesan cheese, cookies and cream, ice cream, and chocolate peanut butter cups. Oh yeah, girl, I'm with you. <laughs> ice cream. Yeah, because why not? It's the last meal on earth. I Pregnancy made me embrace my love of ice cream and I'm kind of still embracing it. Yeah, it's really funny because sometimes people will be like, should I do the thing that's good for me or just like go for the thing that's like a total comfort food? I'm like, you're about to die. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, why not? Do whatever you want. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, what part is non-negotiable? I do have a morning routine, Paula. This has been a journey. I'm obsessed in many ways with these daily doings that we have. I really do. I love getting into those granular moment to moment ways we live our lives because I think there is so much there in how we go moment to moment just throughout the day. So I'm fascinated by all of it and have constantly sort of been on this journey to... I have to fight the part of me that wants to sort of optimize the routine because I know there's no optimal, but I have 
it's really been a big focus of my work because I also do notice it really affects your creativity. So with a kid, everything changes. And I am proud to say that like, I've got some really cool stuff happening in the morning routine with him because he... Because I've had to figure out like how to have a morning routine when you don't have any time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the non-negotiable parts for me are that he and I take a walk every single morning and even when it's cold. And when I'm walking with him, I do my own kind of alignment. So I like say some mantras and I say some prayers for us out loud. And I've just decided he's a part of it. So I say we and I say I bring him into it. But I was like, what am I going to be able to do that? The only way is sort of while we're walking. So as long as he lets me do that, we do that. And then when he takes his nap, my new thing is that I do a Peloton ride right after that I put him down and that's non-negotiable. So, and, and all of this is before I check email or Instagram. I do not check those things until I have taken the ride. And then hopefully after the ride, I do my creative 15, which is 15 minutes of creative practice. And then I listen to the everybody's things on the interwebs. I love that. Oh my God. You're so inspiring. Caveat. Then he'll like change his nap schedule and everything changes. So I think the most important thing about routines is that they really do ground us and that they always change. Yeah. And then we have to go with the flow and not get mad at ourselves. And yeah, it's just like, okay, now what? (laughs) And new seasons of your life are going to require you to shift the routine. I think we get stuck there because we think, oh, I've broken that habit. But actually, I think when you have a new creative project, a new relationship, a new geographic location, you will shift. They have to shift. Totally. And I think that's part of the kind of dying of this patriarchal culture that we are in now and the accepting of like a more cyclical a more like generous, a more curious culture that we're bringing in is like, oh, okay, I didn't do this thing for a couple days because things have shifted. Now what? Instead of being like, oh, you know, bludgeoning ourselves. I'm so over that. Bludgeoning ourselves is out. It's out. Shame is not the way. Joy is the new black. (laughs) Um, Tell us about a person who inspires you and why. In this moment, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is coming to mind because of her conviction and dedication, her love of language, and her willingness to see the future way before. So not that other people weren't seeing it. There were certainly other people. So it's not all her. But she was willing. She had the courage to see the future in groups of people who refused to see it. And she would not take no for an answer. Um, Something people might not know about you. Oh, what is that? Um, I tell people everything. So I have a passion for botany. And I'm just reawakening it. And it's really strong. I just asked my mom to send me some tree identification books. It was seated in sixth grade by an amazing science teacher. And I think it's my new hobby. Oh, nice. I love that. Um, What are you reading right now? We talked about the burnout book, but you always have the best book recommendations. I think I'm always reading about three to four books. Me too. Yeah. And I love that actually, because they're all in conversation with each other. So I'm reading right now, The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. I had started a while ago, but I'm finishing it now. Such an important book for everyone. I am kind of looking for a new novel. I'm 
once I got pregnant, novels became this like place of solace and COVID uh, novels like really got me through COVID. So I just read a book by Meg Wolitzer called the 10 year nap. It's an early Meg Wolitzer and it's so dated, but like there are just some really interesting descriptions of motherhood in it. So I'm reading a lot of motherhood stuff. And then I am reading a book by Terry Cole called, I think it's called boundary boss, but I'm reading it about boundaries. Okay. We'll put those in the show notes as well. If people are interested in checking them out, what's one thing that brings you joy right now? It's the obvious answer, but it's the true answer, which is my little almost 11 month old bundle of wonder and energy. Who is my son, Mateo? Yeah, he's adorable. I love seeing little videos of you doing exercises and he's like smiling while you're doing your exercises. He's a really happy baby. He came into the world with a lot of joy and our job is to receive it. Where can people find you online? And and is there anything specific you want them to know about? I'm still on Instagram. Haven't joined the TikTok revolution yet. So I'm like an old school... Instagram person. I, I'd love to connect with people there at Liz Kimball. I love that space still. And my website, lizkimball.com. And then what I have for people, if you, if you are wanting to have a creative practice and you don't have one or you're wanting to kind of give it some energy, I have a 15-day creative journey where I send you an email every day with a creative prompt and a song and a little bit of guidance. And it's really helped people get more consistent, but also become more nourishing and loving with their creative voice. So it's totally free. Uh, There's a link for that that you can give people. Yeah, we'll share that as well in the show notes. Well, Liz, it's so great to see you and to talk to you. It's such a pleasure. I'm so excited about your work. And I hope that many people go and do the Creative 15. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a a real joy to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantuladesma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. Thank you.